0: Welcome to Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, where we improve and heal all parts of our lives, most importantly, our health. Heal Squad by Maria Menuno's, your life improvement series starts now. This episode of Heal Squad All-Stars centers around different perspectives on healing. First up, we have my friend Tammy Valicenti, a beacon of knowledge in the realm of trauma healing, EMDR, Then we have Cindy Dale, a thought leader in energy medicine and the mind-body connection. And finally... Actually, they're all my friends, Cindy too, but Dr. Allison Monette, an expert in circadian rhythms and their impact on our well-being. Throughout this episode, you'll be immersed in stories, insights, and actionable wisdom, you know, we love that here, that can reshape your journey toward a healthier, happier you. So grab your notebooks, friends, open your mind, and get ready to embark on a transformative ride with our Heal Squad All-Stars. Let's dive in. So... Explain to people what EMDR is.
1: So EMDR is a type of therapy. It stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, and that sounds like a bunch of gar- garbly gook, I know. Uh, but it's a ho- really holistic therapy that combines your thoughts and memories, your emotions, the sensations in your body, and the negative belief about yourself. That combined with a bilateral stimulation, back when EMDR was first discovered by Francine Shapiro, she discovered that when she moved her eyes back and forth, that the material that she was thinking about became less disturbing. Later on, it's now we know it's any bilateral stimulation. So tapping back and forth, sounds in your tones in your ears, back and forth, vibrations back and forth in your hands, or eye movements back and forth. And so what does that those do? Days, Well, it's interesting. Um, we don't know a lot about the brain to know exactly what it does, but we do know that when we're in REM sleep, we are also moving our eyes back and forth. It really heightens processing and it helps ground the material. So
0: that's why they call it REM rapid eye movement, right? Exactly. exactly. Oh,
1: (laughs) and that's when we're dreaming and processing material and storing it away. Huh? So when you think about trauma, trauma is not um, stored like typical memory. Oftentimes it's not stored at all. It's why people say, you know, I'll ask you, I'll experience something traumatic. Yes. And I, I'm experiencing it every day.
0: So is it EMDR, just kind of floating on top of everything?
1: Exactly. That's a perfect way to say it.
0: Exactly. Wow.
1: And then by, and then EMDR therapy by um, connecting it to, Emotions, sensations in your body, negative beliefs it helps to ground and store that information.
0: Wow, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what is a typical session like like a first session with someone? Mm.
1: first session is is like any other first therapy session. Um, really history taking a lot of people will ask, you know, so what, what are, what are the issues? What's the presenting problem? I'm actually not interested in the presenting problem at all. I know it sounds a little strange, but I want my eye on the prize. I want to manifest the, um, our goals, uh, and start doing that as soon as possible. So my first question or the, the most important question in the first session is, um, how do we know when we're done with our work here? What's different? What feels different? What, what, what's different about what you're experiencing in the world, in your body. Um, so in the first session, yes, history, um, goals, um, some education about EMDR. And then second session, we may be talking about uh, resource installation. We may do a safe place exercise, which helps you get used to the EMDR process. So we would target a safe place with all of the positive emotions and the positive sensations in your body. And it would look like a typical EMDR session with the bilateral stimulation um, and with the processing, but with a focus on, on the positive. And once the person is, is resourced, and that may take a few sessions or it may just be one session depending on the individual, then we get into the processing of more, more difficult material, really what you came there for.
0: Are you using different versions of the bilateral movement for different people? Or is it, are you just using the eye movement? Are you using tapping on sides or ear sounds?
1: Good question. That really depends on the, right. It depends on the person's comfort. So there is a device that looks like a Walkman, um, that has headphones and then buzzers in your hands. Some people choose just to listen to the, the buzzing back and forth. Some people choose to just hold the buzzers, um, I work some, with some other people. Um, I work with people internationally and nationally. Um, so they may order that device, or a lot of times they may just do the tapping back and forth. And they find that just as effective.
0: Literally, um, just uh, tapping your own shoulders, basically. Yes. As you're thinking about the trauma.
1: Yes. Well, that that's I think a little I think a little oversimplified. But yes. So you think about the like, the question. I'd ask you around a specific trauma is if that trauma was a movie, what frame of that movie represents the most disturbing part.
2: Mm. So as
1: you think about that, then you tap back and forth and you do that for maybe 20 seconds to a minute, minute and a half, depending on how long you want to process. And then you come out and then you report back to me what came up. Oh, I really got a hot flash. I'm really enraged um, or I have X, Y, and Z memory. Um, And then we're going to intervene just a little bit. Mostly we're going to let your body and your brain Mm -hmm. do what it needs to. You go back in noticing the rage you feel and the hot, the heat in your body and then see where that goes. And it goes back and forth like that.
2: Wow.
0: Yeah. I'm not trying to minimize the, the process. I'm just trying to show kind of all of us how, how simple it can be in a sense to move through something that's so traumatic because it feels like it's something that could be unhealable, like you can't get past it and or whatever it is. So my next thing is, is who is this most ideal for? Mm,
1: great question. So um, I'd say most people it works for. We've been talking a little bit about trauma, but it works for a whole host of other things. So let's say, for example, um you reached out and said, well, I've been dealing with these real negative feelings about my mother. Whenever I'm on the phone with her, I just I can't stand her. She comes to visit. I can't wait till she leaves. OK, um, EMDR will be really helpful in that case as well. So we might target um, an incident that you've had over the last couple of years where you're with your mom. or you had a phone call and you got all these feelings and sensations. So we just follow that through the session. And don't you know what it? it goes back to when you were a child, let's say, and um, maybe you were a latchkey kid and you felt alone and not seen. And we process a, a lot of that. And um, and that will have the impact in the in the car in your current relationship. Wow. So. Right. Right. So even in relational therapy, you know, all of that may be stored as history, maybe playing out in your current relationship, you don't know where it's coming from, but it's really little Maria that's reacting.
0: Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Well, because I'm trying to figure out, I mean, I know that from my research, you know, rape victims, sexual assault, returning soldiers with PTSD, but you know, there are so many of us, everyone's in pain. Everyone has some level of suffering, whether it's your mom was diagnosed with brain cancer, that's a trauma, right? Absolutely. Um, Or whether um, you've lived in fear because you felt unsafe as a child and that has built up. And, you know, I'm seeing it so clearly now, literally like a covering because Mm -hmm. it, it shades everything you do in your life. It
1: does. It does. I worked with someone years ago who used to say, my trauma affects the way I brush my teeth.
0: Right. Because it's not in
1: the past. It's not in the past.
0: Yeah. I worked with someone who, who helped me get through a little of it where he said, he's like, what you have to understand is you're not, not safe now. It's like, like the double negative. He's -hmm. like, little Maria wasn't safe, Mm -hmm. but that's not who you are anymore. And it did connect, but I'm still, I mean, if someone taps my shoulder, I jump to the moon. I still have such reflexive like fear and just you mm-hmm. know I'm always mm-hmm. I'm always like on edge and nervous and yes and yeah fearful that something's yeah. happening or going to happen yes
1: yes and I think what your experience is what most people experience which is I understand it it makes sense to me and I'm still reactive I'm still yes. having difficulty sleeping or I'll still jump if you touch me from behind yeah all of that because because it's literally you know um it's literally stored in your body on a cellular level. Yeah. And, and when, you, when you process it in a holistic way using your body, um, and there's other ways to do it as well. You know, PE will take care of it, but that's a lot of homework. What's um, PE? PMG, um, it's exposure, exposure, hmm, drawing a blank of that, something exposure um another trauma therapy okay and but there's a lot of there's a lot of homework and there's good going i think you might even have to um record yourself talking about the traumatic event from start to finish mm-hmm. um and people are less likely to finish the treatment because of the outside work
0: yeah i also I think, think it takes more sessions i wonder why i'm sure at some point you started with the event and now mm-hmm. you've shifted to what result you want with your patient. Right. And focusing on that, like if it was me, you would say, you know, what's your result that, you know, what are we working towards? And I would say, I don't want to be scared every day. And Mm -hmm. so what was your thinking on that? And is that what happened? Did you shift from the event to that? Or were you always on the result?
1: Um, I think from the beginning, what's interesting is you'll see. So, so let's take a traumatic event, for example um say the target is uh a a i was um you were you were almost abducted say an attempted
0: yeah that's abduction. happened is that's a, happened okay. <laughs> a couple times <laughs> <laughs> oh geez.
1: yeah oh that sounds horrific yeah. okay um so the focus is the worst part of that event and the negative belief about yourself let's say the negative belief is um i'm not safe anywhere or i'm not good enough or I'm not worthy something along those lines. Um, we also want to look at the positive. What do you want to believe about yourself when you look at that event?
0: That I'm strong enough to survive it and, and yeah, Yeah. and get out of it if something was to happen.
1: Yes. So we process the negative going in around the worst part of that event. And then after one to three sessions, six tops, it wouldn't take that long. Um, You'll get to the place where the event feels distant. You don't see it as well. You're not feeling it. And that negative belief has turned into that positive, in which case we would install the positive. So we bring up that event again, which you can't bring up fully anymore. And then we install the I am safe. I am okay.
0: Tammy takes us on a journey through the holistic approach of eye movement desensitization and reprocessing EMDR therapy, unveiling the incredible potential to reframe traumatic memories and transform our beliefs from negative to positive. Next up, Cindy Dale. I get the elemental world, mm-hmm. right? Because we're living in it, we can understand it, it, feel it's and just- touch it, it's all here. But yes. the power world, when you say that we are powerful beings that know, that we can put degenerative energy towards something we don't want, whether it's Kelsey's stomach issues, the tumor in my head, or right. long COVID, um, and then generative issue uh, energy into other things. How does that actually happen? What are you
2: actually doing? You're literally declaring inside of yourself that you want the forces that are in this plane on this earth to be in a place that is going to give you healing and transformation you know part of why it doesn't make sense is that we typically read about these kind of events especially in spiritual tracts or religions from thousands of years ago right we go jesus raised the dead well i don't know how to raise the dead so let's just be clear about that all right <laughs> but Honestly, when you read about these events that used to happen where healers, shamans, gurus would just say, let the tumor disappear, but that stuff still appears in our world. It's just a lot of times people don't really have a, you know, kind of a picture or a description of what's happening mm-hmm. with that and I know I've studied in really unusual places on this planet—jungles and savannas and the desert—and with different kind of healers and shamans. And I've watched them go. Wow, they just healed that person, or are they just like help this person understand something. Um, I, for instance, was talking about this when I was teaching a class at a college, which is not usually where you talk about these things, mm-hmm. and. I was talking about how there's, if you keep it simple, there's forces that are always available. We see them in nature, right? Tree falls in the forest. Aren't there degenerative forces decaying it? Uh, A seed is planted in the soil. Hmm. There's generative forces helping to grow it. We just typically describe those forces as microbes or sunlight or water. what if there were really big forces that were helping nature to do these things? So a woman came up on break one day, a lunch break, and she had this growth on her wrist. It wasn't cancerous. It was a growth, but you could see it. It was sort of like a half of a golf ball or whatever, right? And she goes, well, it's a fatty tissue tumor. You know, how does this work? And I honestly wasn't really trying to do something major. I just said, "Well, now from the power perspective, think of it as nature, you're just a little screwed up here. You've got a and a big energy. I see them like tubes of energy in my head. A big tube of energy growing that. And your immune system doesn't, you know, it's sort of like ignoring it. So so it's sort of that 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 tumor that cyst is hidden. And I said, what if you just think, hey, my higher self, God, whatever word you want to use, let's just flip those around. Honest to gosh, Maria, that that cyst disappeared in front of you, in front of me. I was probably as shocked because I wasn't really trying to do that. I was trying to say, this is how it works. And it just went down, just went down, just disappeared. And again, try this at home but i can't guarantee results
0: (laughs) wow but see even just that explanation makes this so much clearer to me because also when you think about the tubes so this large tube is feeding that fatty tissue it's almost like the block and that's why the immune system can't get to it so if you say shift that out and bring in the the resources and the rest of my body into this that makes a lot of sense and also i've been doing um a lot of Joe dispenses, medit- meditations,
2: great, great stuff.
0: And great. Stuff. I wonder if the same thing is applicable. And it sounds like it does. Because you're saying declare. And what I'm learning is our thoughts become things and the mind and the body has no idea between perception and reality. So whatever you tell it to think, I am healed, you know, and and you match it with the emotion of it already happening. That's when things happen. So is it because you're thinking differently and that creates a different chemistry that provides the healing?
2: Yes, it literally creates a different chemistry. So look at those studies of, uh, you know, a person with multiple personality disorder, you know, which is the old term for it. There are studies that show when, like if Cindy were being Ava right now, okay? Maybe I need glasses. When I'm being Cindy, I don't need glasses. Now, that is such a huge set of scientific realizations that the same physical body, when it's kind of in a different framework, right? We're holding it in a different mindset will operate differently. That's what we're talking about. There was, was it just two years ago or so? It wasn't very long ago. It was just certainly during all the lockdown. Um, there was a police officer who lifted, you know, the old story of the mother who lifts the car mm-hmm. off her child. And she can't even like lift a, you know, two pound dumbbell of her wives. That's me, <laughs> right? That's kind of what we're talking about. There was an officer who lifted a car and rescued somebody oh, trapped underneath just it. Just a the chills. Think of the powers in our body. So instead of focusing only on here's my little cells, right? Or here's just this singular organ. We're talking about getting our whole mindset. And you said the key, Maria, you got to have your feelings in it too, right? Like, oh, that intention in it. You more than intention. I don't think it's just intention. You want to have a decision made made for yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have this happen everything comes together and the body goes, okay, sure. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. And sometimes it's somebody outside of us, you know, that can actually maybe do that with us or for us. Uh, sometimes those of us who believe in, you know, God or higher power, you know, we're giving our power there, which is coming through us to do it. I don't care how you get there. I think it's really exciting to have the concept of this. So much science says that what you believe is what becomes, which is what you just said. And Joe Dispenza really gets it. Mm -hmm. Studies on the placebo effect. I mean, that believing something is going to happen between, I think it's 35% to 87% greater chance of it happening. Like this pill is going to work. The nocebo effect we don't like to talk about that very often. I don't know how many of us have heard the word. Never. It's the opposite. Oh my God, this is such fascinating. So placebo is you believe it, big chance it's going to happen. That's your mindset. That's your soul, I would say. No SIBO effect is the opposite. And it says, if you think something bad's going to happen, guess what? It probably is. You think this pill is going to make you sick. Guess what? It probably will. Same percentage. They can give people sugar pills and say, you're going to get, ill from this. and they get ill, it's sugar pills. I like sugar. (laughs) Doesn't make me sick. Hmm. Um, The first time I heard about the nocebo effect was decades ago. There was a stadium in, I think it was San Diego, but this was decades ago. And the announcers, you know, kind of four people checked themselves into an infirmary, you know, the, you know, said we got the flu or we're sick. And the officials decided that there was toxic microbes in the soda pop dispensers in the stadium. I know you can hear You can see where this is going, can't you? Mm -hmm. So they announced this over the loudspeakers. Oh, my gosh. The place cleared out. The local hospitals, ERs, emergency rooms were flooded. Later, they discovered there was nothing wrong with the soda pop dispensers. There was nothing in them. People hearing you could get sick from this got sicker. They got sick.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting how little credit we give to our mind and bodies. And I think that the exploration of just how powerful we really are and what we're really capable of is so exciting. Uh, It's I know arduous and and you know it's work for people and that's where you know we we kind of meet that fork in the road so there's those of us who are just going to go the traditional route cuz it's easier give me the pill let me you know let me just go this way but I think you can also simultaneously hold space to be going this way and learning and exploring and trying and, uh, and I think it's, I think it's just so cool because it really is what you believe will be. When I was having surgery, just before I had surgery, Tony Robbins said, whatever, what you believe will be, honey. And I was like, huh, okay. I believe that we had uh, Sage and Serena Dyer on the show, Wayne Dyer's daughters. They wrote a book recently and, uh, was it Serena? I think it was Serena that had, um, some condition
2: Oh, well, the was bumps. The it bumps. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Serena. She had, she grew up, she had like, it was like a rash.
0: Yeah, she had these bumps. Yeah. She called them her bumps. And, you know, it was, you know, a whole thing. And one night <clears throat> she told them something like, you know, bumps, you know, it's time for you to go. Mm-hmm. And they did. I <laughs> mean, it, it's, it's wild, but ever since she said that, and that's why I love talking about this stuff because you kind of see what's possible when you see people do the impossible. And so ever since she said that, I have my practices where I talk to my things and, and I'm like, yeah, go away. Thanks for what you did. Appreciate you. You were great. Taught me a lot of lessons. Time to go. I love how Cindy guides us through the intricate landscape of beliefs and intentions, showing us how these energies can shape our health, our experiences and our reality. Up next is Dr. Allison, who sheds light on the significance of morning light exposure. I'm doing it every day with baby Athena and resetting our internal clocks for optimal health, ensuring that our bodies dance in harmony with the natural rhythms of the world around us. Before we get to her, I just want to tell you friends, I'm sure you've been hearing the Just Thrive ads throughout the shows. I literally am obsessed I didn't do it consistently enough before I met Tina and after I met Tina and I understood more and learned more about how to use it and that I could have more than one in a day. My stomach has flattened out. I feel great. I used to have all this weird swelling and throbbing because I have some other little conditions I'm trying to heal in my intestines and my stomach and that's all gone so i cannot tell you guys enough how much it's changed and helped me i also threw in the justcom because why not and that's also helping me too i love that my little vegas nerve is happy every day so i highly recommend it i'm using it i love it and i think you guys will have really great results just remember to take it after your meal it says to take it after your largest meal i kind of think all my meals are large so i try to take two a day and i take the just calm first thing in the morning and it's just been game changing so i share that with you guys because sometimes you hear these things and you don't have a lot of context but it's my best friend i am never leaving home without it so i hope that helps now Dr. Allison, who's going to tell you about blue light glasses and all kinds of amazing things, especially the circadian rhythm. Like I said, I'm doing it with Athena every morning and it's game-changing as well. So enjoy, friends. She, just so you guys know, is sitting in her backyard in the woods. It's 50 degrees there. It's beautiful. But she had to set up her Wi-Fi just to do this because she doesn't have Wi-Fi in her house because she knows from her research how intense... We are surrounded by all this light, all this, you know, unnatural light, all these Wi-Fi, all these devices. And so um she had to set it up just for this, but um, <laughs> you can share a little bit about what has been affecting our biology and then what you're doing to kind of counter the effects.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you know, the the really important thing that I started recognizing was that When patients weren't responding how I expected them to respond, I started digging digging into their lifestyle more, really trying to understand what was happening. And it really started to be noticeable around 2013, 2014, that I was getting patients that just didn't seem to be responding like I had it normally expected. And what seemed to be a real commonality was what they were doing in really their daily life, how they were operating in their daily life. These were a lot of people who had to use their computers for work pretty exclusively. Um, a lot of them were not getting outside very much, stuck inside, really poor sleep cycles. I mean, a lot of common links. And and I feel like we could probably think about our daily life and how tuned that is to the normal, so to speak. And that's kind of now the normal, right? That we aren't really thinking about how we're living our day because the day really for most people is you know, you wake up in the morning, you, it's a crazy morning, you're getting to, to your day or whatever it might look like work, school, there's not really any time to think about what's happening in the morning, you do your day, maybe the first time you have a moment to relax is at night. And maybe by then it's already dark. So, so I say that because I really started recognizing it, I would say that I even didn't fully understand the breadth of it until a few more years into really thinking about it. And I blame, I, you know, I, I actually had my daughter in 2015. So it was a little bit of a distraction from research. And I say that because I love to read. I love to research. I just, I have a huge library. I mean, and and I took a little pause in those years because there wasn't a lot of extra time. And then once I, came back to having a little bit more time as she grew older, it was really 2018, 2019 that I started recognizing like this was a big problem. But then I even realized for myself that like, how, how do you even start to fix this? How do you start to understand this more? So I actually started looking at my patients and having them do testing to evaluate their circadian rhythm. And as I started testing it in all of my patients, that really just blew my mind how abnormal everyone's circadian rhythm was. So then I started really digging and seeing Okay, not that we... So this is what I would say is that everyone was abnormal. I rarely had a normal circadian rhythm, but I took it as a very important task to figure out what were the most meaningful steps to actually reset that. Because I knew the reality wasn't that I was going to tell patients to go live outside and pitch a tent and (laughs) and be able to like have their circadian rhythm work. I mean, we're all... I mean, look how great this is. We can use technology to connect. You're you're in California. I'm in Connecticut. I mean, this is the value of technology. We don't want that to go away. But I also realize that we have to find that balance of using it to support things, but then knowing how you personally can disconnect from it to be able to have your health thrive. So. If we look, though, at all of the things that you're doing to support your health, if your body doesn't know what time of the day it is and isn't actually tuned to that 24-hour rhythm, a lot of the things that you could be doing fail. And that's where I feel like a lot of a lot of my patients who maybe are new patients, maybe they've experienced functional medicine before, um, now a lot of people are able to do their own research. So I have a lot of patients coming in new to me that they've done years of their own research and they're just starting to realize that, okay, there's something more to my story that I'm missing. And that's really where I come in to help them recreate their health at that deeper level. But that circadian rhythm, Resetting that and making sure that that is working robustly, then is the game changer for everything else they're doing. So, then you mentioned, like, okay, thinking about your light environment. If actually, hold on, I have more circadian rhythm questions. Oh, great, yeah, yeah, okay,
0: yeah, yeah. So, so explain what exactly it is and where we're going wrong. Like, what does it mean? that our body doesn't know what time it is.
3: Okay, yeah. Yeah, so actually, I mean, this is really cool science, but we are all built with a central clock in our brain. It's called the SCN, the suprachiasmatic nucleus. It helps run our entire body. Every cell in your body actually has its own clock, and there there are clock genes in front of every set of genes, like our body tunes to that central clock in our brain. Now, in a good working body, that clock is set every day by your environmental cues. It wants to run at 24 hours. And that's because our light and dark schedule is 24 hours. But our circadian clock only runs in that 24 hours if we set it with light and darkness. If we do not, then it will run out of tune. And if that brain clock runs out of tune, it will not sync with our peripheral clocks that are in all of our cells, all of our organs, all of our systems. It's, you know, interestingly, We we know these things work in all of our technology, but we don't realize that what's running on our phone to tell us GPS is actually the reason why it works in our body, too. We just have never learned these things. And I really wish that we learned these things from when we were in third grade fourth grade. Like, why are we not learning about these simple things about human biology from the very beginning? Because if we just understood that our body needs to be set every day with the proper morning light, and and I say that because it cannot be just light that you see from inside your house. You know, it needs to be full-spectrum, unimpeded light that's going into your eyes but also on your skin if you can you know if it's if it's warm enough to tolerate it then you want your skin solar panel to get it too but that actually sets your your body's clock to know 24 hours is starting and as long as you pair that with proper darkness your body knows what to do at the right time every one of your cells, every one of your systems. It's an amazing thing that the body wants to work properly and it doesn't need much to actually set that. We run out of tune with every day we live if
0: we don't actually set it every day. But how much time do you have to set it in the morning? Like, listen, people already can't get to work on time they're like, they can't even eat breakfast. Like we need them to eat breakfast too. And they can't even (laughs) eat breakfast because, you know, they have to be at work so early and they're rushing. So what is like the minimum amount they can do to set their, reset their circadian rhythm, at least in the morning, then we'll get to the night stuff.
3: Yeah. You know, it's, I can tell you from, again, working with patients, I am so Surprised by how little time is actually needed to create a real actionable response. I always tell patients the same thing. I tell them to wake up around the time of sunrise and go outside for about 12 minutes. The purpose of that is to hope that all of your body's blood flow can get into that or flow through that retina and get that download from the sun at that time. However, when patients come back in, sometimes they'll say to me, well, I I got maybe three minutes, I got five minutes. A lot of times I have patients, though, that really feel so good doing it. They'll tell me they spend much longer than that 12 minutes. But the point of me saying that is any time is better than no time, but it needs to be full spectrum, So that means no contacts, no glasses, no sunglasses, nothing between your eyes and that full spectrum sunlight. So it has to be outside. It cannot be through a window. It cannot be through a screen. Now, you know, is a screen better than nothing? You know, I do. I have some elderly patients that It's not really safe for them to walk outside in the middle of the winter by themselves. So I have them go out on their sun porch and at least there's a screen. But, anyways, the answer is it's really not much time. If we really, really think about how much time is in our full day, if you can take that 12 minutes and find your body outside as close as possible to sunrise, that is the most important download that you can offer your brain circadian clock.
0: Every single day. What if it's cloudy, rainy, or you live in a place that doesn't really get sun?
3: Yeah, great question. It actually doesn't matter. So, if we had a spectroscope that were actually measure the color temperature of the of the air that you're experiencing when that sun is out everything that you're experiencing when you're outside matches the correct color spectrum. So on a rainy day, on a snowy day, on a cloudy day, we consider that to be a red light day. So you're always getting the red light spectrum. It just may be a little bit more red light on those days, which is actually basically free healing energy that our mitochondria run on. So we always need it and we can always use it and it's always available
0: cool okay what if you live in a place where they don't have like the the darkness is more than the light
3: I you know I feel for for some of those people (laughs) so yeah the challenge there is that you still then want to experience that sunrise time of the the light spectrum so if you're having to do your day before the sun has risen, then the most important thing is to protect yourself from the indoor artificial light. So like what you're doing, you know, wearing blue blockers, you know, maybe even trying to use like less lighting or using some extra red lights that that you can add to your environment. And then when the sun actually rises, stop what you're doing, go outside, for that 12 minutes, get the download, and then go about your day. The advantage for places like that, though, are on the flip side of it, when they have a lot of light for a long period of time, you know, so so they kind of have both ends. They have that that one time of the year where there's a lot of darkness, but then they have the other time of the year where there's a lot of light. That's where they have to take advantage of getting outside as much as possible. But we know from circadian rhythm studies that the ideal that the human body really developed from was equatorial light where 12 hours of light, 12 hours of dark, perfect circadian rhythm all year long. So we have, of course, been able to adjust away from that But we were set that way and we have to then try to take advantage of as much of the light as possible. Because if you look at how much light's available, it's always the same total amount of light all year long, no matter where you live. It's just you might get more in one season, less in another season. So you have to try to get as much as possible when the sun is out longer.
0: Mm. Yeah, think Which about it like your battery yeah. plugging in.
3: Yeah, it's like the I, you know, I will say, you know, Connecticut's not terrible. It's it's not optimal either. I often think, you know, if I could just hop down to the equator for uh, four four weeks, a couple times a year, that probably would be really helpful. Um, but we're fortunate; we don't have extreme darkness. But I will. Always tell patients to take advantage of summer light that, you know, adjust your schedule as much as possible to go outside as much as you can, as many times of the the day you can. Because if you can set your circadian rhythm really strongly as much as possible, as many months as you can during the year, you can get by a little bit in the winter when there's less sun.
0: Yeah. What happens at night? So you have to set your circadian in the, rhythm in the morning by seeing light first thing. And then how do you handle the nighttime? Yeah. Yeah. So
3: now, you know, once you wake up your circadian rhythm, your body knows what it, what it should be doing. So now it's it's running. Every time you go outside when the sun's actually still out, that further sets your circadian rhythm. But then when the sun sets, the body is expecting darkness. And we have a blue light receptor um, that's actually located in our skin as well as our eyes. It's actually located in our subcutaneous fat, um, in the arterioles. It's called melanopsin. And melanopsin is our body's way of understanding our darkness environment so the melanopsin receptor is looking for blue light because in nature blue light is the most rare of the light spectrum and it goes away of course when the light sets but if you are experiencing light in any way so that could be indoors from just overhead lighting it could be technology use whatever that looks like, if the sun is set and you're getting artificial blue light exposure, those melanopsin receptors, unfortunately, interpret that as continued daytime, and it prevents your melatonin from activating, which then prevents that part of your circadian rhythm from understanding that it should be shifting into the dark mode because there are things that happen differently in your body during that dark period than during that light period and there's that change program is literally light versus dark that helps us go into that the darkness is really the most important part of the day for health because that's when the body can activate its healing powers and those processes. But if melatonin isn't allowed to activate, that will not happen. And that's really at the core of of disease generation for a lot of people because if the body isn't able to clean up from the mess of the day, Then every night when you're sleeping, you might be sleeping and think you're sleeping, but the body is not cleaning up. So the next day you're waking up with more aging, more disease, because you're not actually cleaning up at night.
0: So it makes sense that more people than ever are having a hard time sleeping. Um, Ariana Huffington did this whole book on sleep. And I remember she was saying, you know, you have to put your devices away. You have to actually go to bed um early and so the body does have this but you know we're on our phones we're on instagram we're doing all these things so late late at night and then we wonder why we can't sleep and then if you can't sleep that's why the body isn't having its time to heal and to do all of its things i know that you put me on a different lens at night so explain so i wear these during the day when i'm inside around light on technology and then at night i switch to these red ones kevin makes fun of me i think he calls me uh <laughs> i don't know he calls me some crazy <laughs> name and uh and so to explain what that does
3: yeah so so think about you know when the light is out so when the sun is out blue light is always available balanced in the full spectrum so we are meant to experience native blue light and that is magical for the body it makes what happens during the day work correctly so the blue blockers that you're wearing during the day they generally i'll recommend offering about a 60 to 70 percent block so like even if if you're um people watching they'll probably notice that they have a little bit of color a little bit of tint to the lens that's important because most of, or I should say, all of the clear lenses are likely not offering enough blue light protection for most people's brains. Um, it's offering some, but not quite enough. What we're trying to do is turn down the excessive artificial blue light that you're experiencing during the daytime, not to wipe it out completely, because again, we're actually meant to get some during the day, but but not any from the artificial spectrum. So when you're outside, The blue light is changing all day long. Every nanosecond, that blue light spectrum is different. And that's how our body knows what time of the day it is. So when the sun sets, that blue goes away completely. And then the melanopsin receptor can signal to actually activate your melatonin. So the red ones or the amber ones, they're 100% blue block. So now your eyes are not experiencing any of that artificial blue light. So your melatonin hormone can actually start doing its activation. And I say activation because I do believe we get a little confused about melatonin. It's actually, it is the hormone we think about for sleep, but it's really coded for its function during the day based on the light that we're experiencing. And then it's activated at night once we are experiencing that lack of blue light. So, for example, you know, if you're inside, especially this time of the year, I mean, it gets dark so early. I mean, I'm still seeing patients after it it turns dark here. And so it's important to then find that balance of how can you still live your life and, and at least protect yourself in a way that can still offer you health. And the blue blockers are a great way to to help, it's still not perfect, and nothing's as perfect as being outside. But it really helps, and I can see the effect on my patients' biomarkers, their symptoms, you know, how their body's recovering. So I do feel really strongly about the use of them. I even feel stronger about the use of them in in our younger population. So for those that are um, not yet with. Full myelination of their brain, so really for for most women who are less than twenty six, for most men that are less than twenty eight, like it's very it's a very impressionable time for that artificial blue light to affect the brain. So they need to be wearing them even more than my ninety nine year old patient.